0: You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, a local body of believers in Quarryville, PA. To learn more about Oak Hill, visit oakhillfellowship.com. Now grab a Bible and a notebook and prepare to be spiritually enriched by God's Word. Well, good morning. My name is Keith. If you are not familiar with who I am, um, we are going through a preaching cohort right now, so I'm not usually one up here, as you may be familiar with. Um, Pastor Ben is usually up here, he's taking um, a, a break this summer, a break in training men to preach God's word, and I think it's an awesome thing, um, I've been, uh, it's been a pleasure to be part of that and to be working with these men through that. Um, if you need a little bit more about who I am and you're still confused who this guy is, um, I am the guy with all the daughters, like I'm the one that has all the girls, the rest of the dads in this, class, in this, in this church have boys or and maybe a girl or two. I've got all the girls, okay? And, and I just want you to know, boys, I'm watching you, okay? I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Um, our series vision this, this summer has been that the Lord would make us a church that is faithful and focused to fulfill the ministry to which God has called us. We're going to continue in that vision this morning as we close out 2 Timothy uh, my, my kids were joking that I am the Craig Kimbrell of this preaching cohort. Uh, those of you who follow the Phillies would get that joke. Um, I am closing this out as we finish out 2 Timothy, and, but we are staying in that same series vision. And so if you'd turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through the end, we're going to close out our series here in 2 Timothy, recognizing that we are seeking that the Lord would make us a church that is faithful and focused to fulfill the ministry to which he has called us. When I was a lot younger, um, back when I was probably 12, 13, 14, I don't remember the exact age, but I, I had anticipated for a long time in my life of getting to go on this journey with my dad, which was a hunting expedition. It would be my first time ever going out, rifle season, opening day, that I get to go with my dad. And I had anticipated that all growing up. Like I waited every year for my dad to come home, those headlights to come in the driveway, I'd race out, and I'd find out if dad got the buck that year. And uh, unfortunately, my dad was not the most successful hunter. So every year, uh, that was a no. <laughs> and so I, I anticipated going and maybe even getting a buck before my dad, but kind of realistically realized that might not happen. Um, but So I finally got the chance to go. And, um, you can tell that I'm, I'm on the smaller side, and I've always been on the smaller side, and so uh, a rifle was a little bit of a, a, a power struggle for me to begin with, um, and so I was still growing to be comfortable with that, um, but I, I, I wanted to go so bad, and so I was so excited to get to go on this trip, and um, that morning, I get up bright and early before the sun comes up, we go out to our deer stands, my dad puts me in his place, he goes a few yards down to his And I'm doing the patient thing, waiting, waiting, waiting. And to my surprise, I suddenly see a buck, an antlered deer walking through the woods to me. And I'm like, oh my word. Wow, like my dad never even gets to see this. Well, maybe he sees him. But he's never even brought one home. Like, here's my opportunity. And so as the deer comes, and as I was trained, you know, you wait for it to get to your broadside. And I'm raising my rifle up to put it in the scope. And and as soon as I close my eye in the scope, the deer's gone. And so I I lower the rifle and I see the buck again, but he's a little too far out for an inexperienced hunter like myself. Someone like Dwight or Calvin would have probably still taken that thing in a second. But I I didn't have the experience to still be able to get that thing. And as good humans, you know, we like to try to find excuses for why things happen. And so uh, years later, I began to realize that that my excuse, if you will, is that I was a right-handed shooter with left-eye dominance. Now, maybe you don't understand what eye dominance is. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. You know all about that. Exactly. But let me explain real quickly um, what eye dominance is. It means each of us has a dominant eye. And so if you close your non-dominant eye, your dominant eye remains on the object of what you're looking at. However, if you close your dominant eye, your other eye has to shift briefly to get back in line with that object. And so when I looked through the scope, my uh, dominant eye was now closed, and my on-dominant eye had to shift and lose focus. This morning, I want us to recognize that we need to have focus on the right thing. We need to have focus on the right thing. We need to keep our focus on the gospel as we faithfully follow Jesus. We need to keep our focus on Jesus as we faithfully follow Jesus. Follow along with me as I read 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 9. Paul writes these words to Timothy and to all of us. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Today we want to see that we need to keep our focus, keep your focus on the gospel as you faithfully follow Jesus. If we go back in, back in our context just a little bit, we see that Paul has just referred to the fact that he is finishing the race. He has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. And in order to understand this morning, we need to understand a little bit of what Paul means when he uses these words, faith. What is the faith? That's the focus in which we need to keep our eyes on. So what is that faith? That faith is in Jesus. That faith is in the gospel. Uh, Hebrews tells us that faith is this, it's the assurance of things that are hoped for and it's the conviction of things not seen. But we also have to understand that Paul was not always a man who had faith in Jesus. And so this morning, maybe you are here, and and your faith is in God, but who's that Jesus guy? Or maybe your faith's not even in God, and you're full of doubts, and you're full of questions, and you're full of, um, why am I even here? How did I happen to get to this place this morning? And what is this faith that you speak of, and why would we have hope in something we cannot see? Well, Paul was living that same way at one point in his life. He, he, his faith was so much against Jesus that he was persecuting, he was killing people who wanted to follow Jesus. And God had to interrupt his life. And I wouldn't be surprised if God here today wants to interrupt some people's lives and wants to open your eyes to the fact that, that you can put your faith in Jesus. You don't need to doubt anymore. You can put your full confidence and your full focus right on Jesus. And the reason that is, is because he's here to interrupt your life and to tell you something very important. It's the fact that that you and I, we've all done what is called sin. We've all offended God in many ways. We've all disobeyed and sinned against him. And And we deservedly deserve his punishment and his wrath but Jesus says something greater. He says, listen, I love you so much that I'm going to take that wrath that you deserve. I'm going to take that punishment that you deserve, and I'm going to take it on myself. And if you put your faith in me, then all of that punishment is gone, and you have access to the Father. You have right relationship with God. And that's what Paul believed when God interrupted his life, when he interrupted his journey to to kill Christians, blinded his eyes, and showed him Jesus. And he's here to do the same thing for you and I today. He's here to remind you and I of that same thing today. That we need to get our focus back on the faith in Jesus and their faith in Jesus alone. Some of us need refocused Some of us are completely turned this way. And some of us are focused in, but we need to stay focused. Keep your focus on the gospel. Keep your focus on the gospel. Why? Because we are looking to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews 12 tells us. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Paul isn't saying he fought the good fight in his own power and his own strength. He's saying he did it because Jesus is the perfecter of his faith and the same is for you and I. We need to stay focused in Jesus. Faith. Pastor Ben reminded us at the very beginning of this sermon series, faith is what leads to faithfulness. And we need to be faithful disciples. We need to be faithful disciples because faithful discipleship results in some certain things. Now we just defined what faith is, but I also want to just make sure we remember what disciple means, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be in discipleship. It means that we're fully dependent and devoted in the things of the gospel, that we're focused on faith, that we're focused on Jesus. If you're like me, maybe you need things very simplified. And so to simplify it as much as I can, it's following Jesus. Faithful discipleship means I'm following Jesus and I'm following people who follow Jesus and I'm, I'm following Jesus so people follow me because I'm following Jesus. Faithful discipleship therefore then results in some specific things. Faithful discipleship results in suffering, in relationships. You see all these names that Paul has listed here? These names of of Demas and Alexander on on the negative side, and then Timothy. He doesn't say him specifically, but we know he's asking Timothy to come to him. Crescens, Titus, Luke, Mark, Tychicus. These are all people that, that Paul has been in relationship with who he has discipled in some way. He has faithfully discipled these people. He has followed Jesus with them. And yet we see that faithful discipleship can result in suffering in our relationships. What does this text tell us happens to Demas? It says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He's deserted him. He's fallen in love with the world, it tells us. And we know that Paul was, very, was most likely involved in Demas' life at other points because in Colossians 4.14 and Philemon 24, uh, it references that Paul is, is, in his final greetings, mentions the name Demas. And most commentators all agree that this is the same man. The same man who at the end of his letters at other times said, Demas brings you greetings. He's now saying he's fallen in love with the world. He's, he has fallen in love with these things. I'm going to use this language some this morning that might help some of you. It's the fact that we can fall in love with the world in this horizontal way, but our focus needs to come back to a place that's vertical. And so Paul is saying that Demas has come, gone horizontal. Something in this world has attracted him. Something has taken his, his attraction away from the focus of Jesus and has gone somewhere else. And that's awful. That's painful. That's painful for us who are focused in following Jesus and are faithful in our discipleship, that's painful and it hurts. And it hurts deeply when it's people that we have invested in. I know some of you right here in this room who have deeply invested time, energy, your life into your very own children who were who were born in your home, who you raised in adolescence, who you watched in teenage years, and who have gone off into their own life and they have loved the world. That hurts. You're suffering in that relationship right now. And you may be questioning, well, was I really a faithful disciple? Was I really faithfully discipling? Maybe I failed them in some way. And let me caution you in this. Satan will destroy in the vagueness of his accusations. But, he will, but God will make you aware of the realities in the specifics. And so if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of something specific, repent of that. Go to your leaders in that. Repent of that. Be reconciled on that. Realize that, yes, we've all failed and we've all come up short of the glory of God. But Satan is here to accuse you in so much vagueness and try to make you feel like you've completely failed. But you have faithfully discipled your child. They've fallen in love with the world. That hurts. Keep praying for them. Keep discipling them. Keep faithfully caring for them and loving them. We see a contrast even in these two men, Demas and Alexander, we see that Alexander he says, keep away from, him. beware of him. There, there's a wall that's been put up there. That's a little in contrast to Demas. It's still a little vague. Maybe there's still hope Paul sees in the life of Demas. And we need to hang on to the reality that God is the one who has his people, not us. Earlier in 2 Timothy. Paul, Paul says those very words. He says, the Lord is the one who knows who are his. The Lord knows who are his, not us. We need to be faithfully discipling. We need to be in faithful discipleship. And yes, it will result in, in hurt relationships. It will re- result in suffering in relationships. But it will also result in joy in relationships. These names, Timothy and Creskins, Titus, Luke, Mark, Tychicus all people who he's, he, he's even maybe sent out on missionary work and he's suffering in that, but yet there's joy in that. There is joy in those relationships. And there's one person in particular I want to zero in on this morning because it's the, the name Mark. Mark. He says something very specific about Mark. He says, get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And why is that important? It's important because if we see the whole scope of Scripture and we see the whole story of who Mark is, we realize that Mark is the same man who sometimes is called John, sometimes is called John Mark, and sometimes is called Mark. Many different variations of his name, same person. But he has a very long history with Paul. Way back in Acts 12... Even before the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went on a journey of this famine relief to the churches, and it tells us at the very end of chapter 12 in Acts that this John Mark character was with them. And then right after that is where they get launched. The Holy Spirit sets Paul and Barnabas aside for ministry, sets them aside for this missionary work. And with them, who goes along again? It's Mark. Mark goes with them. But it doesn't take long to get into that journey that Mark just kind of like checks out, says, peace out, I'm done, I can't keep going. We don't know why. Scripture doesn't tell us and we don't need to, we don't need to try to figure it out. But it caused a rift between him and, and Paul. We know that for certain because about maybe two years later, a few years later, when Paul and Barnabas are back out going on their second missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, Paul, by the way, uh, Mark's coming along with us again. And Paul says, I don't think so. And Barnabas says, no, 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 you know, listen, Mark's coming with us, and Paul says it ain't happening. I want nothing to do with him. He, he burned us last time. I'm taking Silas, and I'm going this way. Barnabas, you can have Mark, and you can go that way. We don't need to get in the weeds of what all happened between that in that, that circumstance. But what we can know is that Paul was very strongly opposed to Mark being part of that. His relationship with Mark had been hurt deeply, and yet... Here we come to the very end of Paul's life as Paul's in a prison cell writing this, these, last la, these last words to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus and to you and I. And he uses this language excuse me, of Mark saying, bring him with you for he is very useful in ministry. Not just bring him along so I can, I can lay into him again. Not just bring him along so I can, I can remind him of how he failed me in the past. Bring him along because he's useful to ministry. Remember, we are all in ministry. Remember David's, David's la, um, defini- definition last week that we've lost this idea of what ministry is, what minister means. It means servant. It means disciple. It means follower of Jesus. It's every one of us. He's saying bring him here because he is following Jesus. There is joy in relationships. And yet, church, I'm scared that too often when painful things happen in our relationships as brothers and sisters in the church, that we are so quick, we are so quick to throw that out rather than to compost that. Let me explain it this way, okay? Um, so. My wife and I, a couple years ago, got a shed, and and when we got the shed, we had this little distance between the shed and our neighbor's fence. We had to figure out what to do with it. So we came up with the idea of a compost pile. A compost pile is when you take things that are scrap, you throw them in, and you turn them over and over and over again, and it turns into good soil again. See, I, I fear that too often, what God wants to use to turn over and over and over again and and to restore in relationships. We just want to throw out. We want to get rid of. We want to put the walls up. And trust me, there are times we need to put walls up. Timothy even tells us that. He says with ungodliness and he says with, with lovers of self, we need to avoid them. We need to be wise in these things. We need to include our elders, our GC leaders, more mature Christians who are focused on the faith. We need to to bring them into those conversations to help us know what that wall needs to be like. But I fear that we're too quick, we're too impulsive to just get rid of that relationship and to put the wall up immediately rather than allow God to do the work of turning and turning and turning so that it can restore that relationship just like we see with Paul and Mark and the beauty in that. Romans 12 Paul says these words he says in Romans 12, 18 if possible so far as it depends on you live at peace with awe. If possible as far as it depends on you to live at peace. Brothers and sisters, members here at Oak Hill, can we be committed to each other to such a degree that with everything possible within us, we are going to live at peace with each other, that we are going to have joy in relationships, that we are going to work to reconcile and, and, and have the joy in that relationship. You know, something very beautiful happened with my children. I don't remember how many years ago it was that we recognized that they were doing this but it was nothing we taught them it was nothing we trained them in and we just happened to overhear the conversation one night after putting them to bed and we questioned them on it and we got the full scope of it they began to put themselves to bed at night and they would lay there <laughs> and they would lay there in their beds and because there was 3 of them they would say it twice they'd say these words they'd say i was wrong i was wrong i am sorry i am sorry i forgive i forgive i love you i love you can we recognize that every day we do offend each other in some way every day we do hurt each other in some way because we get horizontal and can we get back vertical to a place where we are willing to say i was wrong i don't even know what i was wrong about but i was wrong and i forgive you because i love you in christ and i'm focused vertically in christ alone and i forgive you and i love you Can we be that as a church body so that we can experience faithful discipleship that results in the joy in our relationships? You can see in the picture, did you put that up yet, Phil? You see the picture there? That's our compost pile. I have no idea what's growing out of that thing. It might be something wonderful and good and it might be something we've got to dig out even further. I have no idea. But when we compost our relationships, we have no idea what God is going to do and what fruit he's going to produce. But let's get focused on the vertical. Let's get focused on the Lord so that we can allow him to do the work in our hearts and our lives. We need to have hearts of forgiveness. Hearts of forgiveness. You see at verse 16, Paul says this He says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. He chose forgiveness. In the horizontal reality that nobody came with him, He could have had bitterness. He could have had wrath to to put against them. He, He could have chose unforgiveness. He could have held on to things against them, but he says, may it not be charged against them. He is showing a heart of forgiveness, which is part of being focused on Jesus as we follow Jesus together. It's part of staying focused on Jesus. We need to stay focused on the Lord. We need to stay focused on the Lord. Faithful discipleship requires that I stay focused on the Lord. Verse 17, Paul says, but, here's the big contrast of the whole passage, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. It was the Lord. It wasn't Mark. It wasn't Timothy. It wasn't his mom or dad. It wasn't it wasn't anybody else. It was the Lord who stood by him and strengthened him. What did we just sing earlier? We sang, in Christ alone my hope is found, right? We, we sang that, that here in the love of Christ I stand. I stand focused in the love of Christ. We sang, and as he, and as he stands, since curse has lo- lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Where are we standing? Are we standing vertically? Are we standing with our eyes fixed on Jesus and following him alone? Or are we focused on all the things around us that we wish were happening? All the things around us that we think would bring us comfort. All the things around us in this world that we, we want to love like Demas. We need to stay vertical in the Lord because it's the Lord who stands by us. In a song that my uh, brother recently introduced me to, the chorus says this. It says, I need truth instead of answers. I need faith instead of sight. I need trust when I can't find the reasons why. I need presence. Here it is. I need presence. I need God's presence over blessing. I need God to stand with me over all the things that I think are blessings of this world. As he sat in his prison cell alone with maybe Luke there caring for him, Luke there maybe even writing this letter for him, as he's in the corner of this prison cell all alone feeling completely isolated, he says, I need you, God, over everything else. I need presence over blessing. I need promise over proof. I need hope instead of healing what I really need is you. That's a song by Brian Fowler called, What I Really Need Is You. Is that what you need? Is that what you long for? Or is that where you need to get focused back on? Do you need to get focused back on the fact that all I really need is God? All I really need is to keep my eyes, turn my eyes on Jesus. Isolation can reveal how our hearts desire to be rescued. When we're in times of isolation, it can can help us to see what our hearts really long for. When I'm feeling lonely, when I'm feeling um, abandoned, when I'm feeling desperate, when I'm feeling all alone, what is it that I really want to be rescued from? Do I want to be rescued from that? Do I want to look for the things of this world? Do I want to binge my favorite TV show or go to my favorite social media page or call my best friend up? Sometimes those things might be appropriate, but what is it that I really want to be rescued from? I want to be res- or by, rescued by, I'm sorry. What is it that I really want to be rescued by? I want to be rescued by God. Because if my focus is on the things of this world that I want to be rescued by, it's going, to be, it's going to fail me. It's going to be fleeting. And so I want to be rescued by God, just like we see Paul. The Lord stood by him and did what? He strengthened him so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So I was rescued by the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I need to be strengthened in the Lord so that he can get the glory. So that I can proclaim the message that he wants to go out from me. Even if he has put me in a position of isolation, even if I'm feeling overwhelmed by the pains of this world and I'm feeling isolated in in this experience of life, I need to be strengthened in him so that I can proclaim him, so that I can stay focused on him, so that he gets the glory and so that he is the one who rescues me, not myself, not this over here, not the things of this world. They're not going to rescue me. They're not going to rescue me. The Lord is the one who will rescue me. Even from every evil deed, even from the injustices of this world. We haven't faced it here in America yet, but we all realize it might be soon. Where we will be isolated. There are people in this world who are isolated because of the gospel. Who are unjustly thrown in prison all alone. Are we prepared for that? Or are we preparing ourselves for that? Uh, is our focus so much on Christ that if everything were taken away from me and all I had was that prison cell that I could still faithfully follow Jesus? I, gotta, I, I need to prepare myself for that because I don't know what the Lord has in store. But I know that without being faithfully focused in that today, that if that day of isolation comes, I'm going to go to the same things I'm going to today. And so we need to stay faithfully focused on the gospel. Faithfully focused. People are going to leave us in life. It happens. People leave us. Sometimes circumstances. Sometimes um, it's death. Sometimes it's, it's a job change. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes we send people out Sometimes we, we change our GC because uh, we, we, our GC is too big. Those things are hard sometimes. People leave us, but we have to remember one thing. God never, God never leaves us. We can always be strengthened in the Lord. We can always be rescued by the Lord. Do not be dependent on one person. That's even why our elders and Pastor Ben have encouraged this preaching cohort. They don't, nobody wants to be dependent on Pastor Ben. We don't, uh, and I love the fact that, that we still gather together as a church, even in the summer when Pastor Ben's not preaching. I have been to churches where the pews are empty on the Sunday that the senior pastor's not there. This is a beautiful thing that you are so convinced that God's word isn't about what Pastor Ben has to say, but what God's word has to say, and we need to stay faithful to that as a church. We need to stay faithful to the fact that we know that God is the one who will never leave us or forsake us. At the very end of of Moses' life, as he's commissioning Joshua and speaking to all of Israel before they go into the promised land, he says, it is the Lord, not it is Joshua, not it is me, Moses, he says, it is the Lord who goes before you. Some of us here today need to be reminded of that. It is the Lord who is going before you as you go back to school or as you send your kids back to school or as you begin the homeschooling program again this year or as you go to that big project at work this week or next week or as you try to make that sale that's gonna, or as you try to find that next job or whatever it is in your life, you need to be reminded that it is the Lord who is going before you it is the Lord who goes before you. He, he will never leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It's the Lord who strengthens us. It's the Lord who strengthened Paul, and we need to be confident in that. We need to stay focused in that. We need faithful discipleship requires that we stay focused on the Lord. Finally, Paul says to him be the glory for that. Not to himself not to what I've accomplished. Because remember, who is it that's the author and perfecter of our faith? It's Jesus. It's not ourselves. And so let's be reminded that the glory goes to God, not to us. Faithful discipleship requires that we are following Jesus together. Church, let's follow Jesus together. These last names that Paul uses here, Prisca or Priscilla, she's known other places, and Aquila, her husband, Onesiphorus, Erastus, Trophimus, Timothy again, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. These are flesh and blood people who Paul has spent his life with, who he loves, who he has discipled directly or indirectly, who he has rubbed shoulder to shoulder with, who he's lived life with, who he has followed Jesus together with. Okay, well, sometimes I fear in myself that I'm... Uh, that. I can get so caught up in uh, the, the discipleship opportunities to learn from um, great and wonderful people who are bringing God's word and who are teaching it in podcasts and, and in books and in sermons. But none of those people, could I call on the phone like I could Pastor Ben or David or Alden or, or Mike or any of you guys to have coffee with, to have breakfast with, to just tell you that I'm struggling or that I, I'm thinking of you and I'm praying for you. We need to get to a place where we are having flesh and blood following Jesus together realities. I need to get to that place where I'm convinced of that, that I don't need other resources to disciple me. They can be helpful and they can be tools, but they cannot replace the fact that we need each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We've just been going through a study in our GCs of One another, striving side by side with one another, loving one another, welcoming one another, bearing with one another, encouraging one another, instructing one another, confessing to one another, forgiving one another, praying for one another, comforting one another, stirring up one another. We need that. I need that. See, sometimes our mentality can be so much that, well, I'm going to go this Sunday because, man, it's been a while and I just really need church. Our mentality can be so much about what I think I need that we forget how much other people need us. In that moment of crisis for them, they may need your word of encouragement because you have that relationship. In the moment of where their focus is no longer on Jesus, they may need you, brother or sister, to come beside them and bring them back. So we need to stop thinking that that attending church or GC or prayer meetings or whatever event at Oak Hill is about whether I'm going to get something out of it, but that the fact is that I'm there to contribute something because I'm a member of the church. And my presence is valuable to the other people because we're caring for each other together, we're loving each other together, and our lives together matter because together we need to stay focused on Jesus. Because sometimes my focus gets turned off just a little bit. Sometimes my eyes get shifted over there a little bit. And sometimes I'm the one that needs to help those people that are at that place. We all need one another. We need to follow Jesus together. Faithful discipleship requires that we follow Jesus together. Paul said earlier in this letter, He said that all scripture is breathed out by God. The very words Paul's writing here are breathed out by God. And what what is the reason for that? It's for reproof and correction, training in righteousness so that we would be complete and equipped. That's not always easy. But it's necessary, and we need that for each other. We need to be that for each other, that we're using Scripture, that we're using all Scripture that's breathed out by God, that we're preaching together in season and out of season to each other so that we're following Jesus together. Just last Sunday, uh, Nick was instructing our youth on, on the differences between community over here in the world's level and community in the church can I encourage us that we can we can begin to be a church that models to our young people what that community looks like what the real biblical community looks like so that they are hungering for that 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 even in the lives of our young people when we see them begin to stray away that we're correcting them and reproving them and training them in righteousness not just saying up oh, there goes another one out to the world but that we are such a biblical community who loves each other so much that our young people are hungering for that and desiring that because they see the love of the people and the members here at Oak Hill. Can we be that church? Let's build that. Let's build that as a church rather than trying to build our own personal mansions. Let's fulfill our ministry rather than trying to fulfill our reputations. And if you haven't started that today yet, if for you that's like, man, this is convicting me. The Lord's really getting a hold of me. Or if you've strayed from that, start today. Don't just think, ah, man, maybe I should do that. Start today. Talk to someone around you. Share with them what the Lord's doing in your heart. Start today so that you can fulfill the ministry that God has called you to. So that you can build the foundation in your home so that you can be comforted by those parents who have faithfully discipled their children even when they've seen them walk and follow the things of this world, so that you can be encouraged by them and reminded by them of the importance of staying focused on the Lord and staying focused in our faith on Jesus alone. Way back at the very beginning of this sermon series, Ben used this wonderful illustration And I want to remind us of this. See, we too often think of ministry as something that God just like tells us, hey, hey, go do this for me. Um, Go run this errand for me. I need you to go do this for me. And that's not at all what God says, that's not at all what He's saying. We are not His errand boys. When he calls us to ministry, he's calling us just like a father who says to their son or a mother who says to their child, hey, come with me. Come along with me. I have some work to do. Do you want to come with me? Because guess what? God's going to do the work. He's standing there. He's there. We're the ones who have lost our focus. He's doing the work. He's doing the ministry. It's a matter of whether we are going to join him or not. And he's inviting us into that. And finally, Paul says these words, The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. This is both personal and plural. And so I encourage you this morning, if you've come to the end of this letter, and for some reason you are still struggling with the fact that how in the world is this meant for me? Like this seems like maybe it's meant for Ben and maybe the elders, but for me, I'm not a pastor. Well, Paul is pretty specific right here in the fact that yes, first he says, the Lord be with your spirit. That's to Timothy specifically. But then he gives the plurality to all of us, to the church at Ephesus as Timothy reads this, and to all of us, grace be with you. This is meant for all of us. This is meant for all of us to faithfully focus our lives, our ministry on Jesus alone and nothing else. And to do it together. Let's allow the Lord to stand with us. Let's recognize that the Lord is the one who stands with us. That What a friend I have in who? In Jesus. But I also am following him together with all of you. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.